You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. The financial views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this program do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of 1077 The Bronx, Rye University, or Certified Wealth Management and Investment. The material discussed is not designed to provide listeners with individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. Planning your financial future does not have to be overwhelming. 1077 The Bronx presents Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. For the next 60 minutes, Kurt and his expert team of financial guests will help to decipher financial terms, navigate market trends, interpret federal and state regulations, and more. So you can make smart decisions with your money to increase your personal wealth. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, focusing on personal financial and small business planning. For more information about all of Certified Wealth Management and Investment services online, it's cwmi.us. Now here's Kurt Baker with this week's edition of Master Your Finances. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. I'm hosting your show today. Uh, My office is located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, we are very pleased to have with us um, Scott Needham who's the president of Princeton Air Conditioning, which was founded by Joseph Needham in 1971. Uh, He attended Roger Williams University in Rhode Island, where he studied architecture. Uh, He is uh, building Building Performance Institute certified, uh, BA envelope AC, uh, ACH, uh, excuse me, heat pump and heating. And his company has been an accredited BPI business since 2008. Mr. Needham serves on many local nonprofit boards and chambers of commerce and is past president of his Rotary Club, appointed by the Mercer County Board of Chosen Freeholders since uh, 2013. Scott serves on its Workforce Development Board, the uh, WBD. Uh, launched in 2013, Mr. Needham is co-chair of the Princeton Regional Chamber of Commerce's Independent Business Alliance, which helps educate consumers about buying decisions, helps businesses grow by creating jobs, and creates more visibility for independent businesses. And also, he was the very first champion for business for the Princeton Regional Chamber of Commerce. Indeed. So, <laughs> so congratulations. Uh, you, you've got lots of accolades. We had to boil it down to a little bit, so otherwise we take the whole show just talking about all the things you've done. But we want to talk about uh, kind of your story, which I think is really cool. So I believe Joseph is your father. Is that correct? He is. Yep. Okay. Yep. Founder so. and CEO. And uh, we just realized uh, a few months ago that uh, while the business is 47 years old this year, We've been working together side by side for 31 of them, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing working with your family members. So he was kind of there when AC like began because yep. I know I moved to Florida. My parents moved to Florida in like the 60s, mm-hmm. which was kind of like when Florida got its toehold as a place to actually go because nobody wanted to go there unless they had air conditioning. That's and right. even today, 
most of the residents stay indoors where it's cool yeah, no as doubt. opposed to going outside. So I'm assuming he kind of was on the beginning of the whole growth of this whole air conditioning well, what idea. What was interesting is he and his father owned a and managed a trucking company, ah. and uh, that uh, they decided to sell to a uh, food producer, and he started looking at what businesses were going to be sustainable over the long haul. He did a lot of market research and realized that air conditioning, which was very not very prominent in uh, the built housing stock currently at that at that year was going to be about in 90% of every home. So he figured that would be a good uh, business to get into. So 34-year-old guy with a big family mortgaged the house and everything and went into the air conditioning business uh, when he was 34 years old. So I give him a lot of credit for that. And the rest is history. Well, yeah, you named a couple things that are really, really cool because he, he was doing something else. He was keeping his eyes and ears open for opportunities because I think... People our age remember this, but used to buy a car, it was an option, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. it, 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 like, how, you can't get a car without AC, even if you don't want it anymore. That's right. That's <laughs> and then, right. you know, houses typically, especially up north, they're like, why would I want an air conditioning? Exactly. I mean, my wife, when I first was dating her, I mean, they, they had fans. Mm -hmm. You just you just walked in the house, they ran the fans through, they had these whole house fans where they ran, you know, air. That was it, because you mm -hmm. only needed it for a couple months out of the year. But nowadays, you can't buy a new house typically unless you ask for not that. I don't know who would, but they're in everything now. No doubt. No um, doubt. It's quite an industry, and uh, we've been having fun uh, participating in that industry ever since. Yeah, so what was it like growing up through this, having having a family business and things like that, and how did you kind of get introduced to all this? How did your father, because yeah. you're doing it now, so how right. did your father kind of get that kind of that love so, of business with you? So what was interesting, watching him, um, you know, do a 180 when he was 34 years old with a family, six kids and a wife, and that to me seemed kind of a normal course of business. You can do something for a while and then spin it if it's not working or things change and you can do something else. So I look at, uh, you know, I went to school for architecture, thought I would be a famous architecture by this, uh, an architect by this age. Mm -hmm. And I realized working up in Rhode Island for a firm after school for a couple of years, it just didn't make a lot of sense for me. And I just didn't enjoy it like I thought I would do it. And seeing my dad pivot when he was 34, I was 27 at the time. I mm -hmm. said, you know what? This is not working out for me. His business was growing astronomically right about then in the late 80s. And I made a decision to get out of architecture and come back to New Jersey to, uh, you know, connect back up with the family business. That was probably a good decision because I, I just know a couple of architects myself that where it used to be a, a really, really successful business mm -hmm. model for most people, it's a lot tougher now because a lot of it's automated. You got these CAD machines, so it's there's a lot of compression in that in that professional service, so to speak. Absolutely. But we still need air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> so I think you're pretty safe yeah. for quite a while. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see that going away anytime soon. We, we're we're uh, betting the farm on it. I, I guess so. I guess so. And you continue to grow. So, um, so that so what? So your father was 34. How old were you at that time? Oh Do you remember? goodness. Uh, so I was probably I don't know 15 or okay. so. So, so I, you're kind of old enough to know what was going on at sure, that point, right? Sure. And uh, I would work summers uh, after school uh, to help out and do some menial tasks around the business. I'd wash trucks. I'd go out in the field with uh, some of the mechanics and do some kind of laborer type activities. So I got a little experience in that area. Back in 87, I came on board as a manager and I was running uh, a major part of the operation of the business and then moved into sales and, uh, you know, kind of had my uh, experiences in all different aspects of the business. And uh, currently I'm uh, president 
And my dad, who's 84 years old, who's CEO and founder, is still working every day. He's in the office right now as we speak. Wow, that's that's so, good. Yeah, he's loving it. Somebody's minding the store, yeah, I guess. So he's, he's loving it. Yep. So, how did your father? So, you started at 15. So, he started you off with some relatively minor tasks, but obviously, at some point, you needed to be trained in like like the business and the sales. So, you did these things. But so, how did your father kind of like enter? Because family businesses sometimes they do really really great, and sometimes the family just says, "I have no interest." Right. Yep. Um, so he kind of kept you in it. So uh, what was? How did he teach you, so to speak? Because that's that's a common issue for family businesses sure. to bring in the you know the children to be involved. Absolutely. So I think what was key, you know, uh, going to school for architecture, I would do uh, more sales jobs outside of working uh, for archi- or in architecture and growing up uh, and going to college. I'd, I was a bartender, you know, I was a ski instructor way back in the day. So I, I was developing people skills, but not necessarily business management skills. And uh, one of the first things he did when I decided to come back to the business was sent me for a few weeks to a uh, business management development course down in Virginia for, you know, as a, uh, an institute that uh, focused on family businesses and entrepreneurs, and uh, they taught you the business side of running a family businesses, uh, business and also kind of uh, laid out some of the challenges that might be present as you grew up in the business. And that was a good start to it. Then I jumped into the operation and uh, I was managing, I think, uh, 14 different crews on new construction sites. We were doing a lot of new construction, uh, heating and air conditioning work for all the new developments that were being built in this uh, central part of New Jersey. There's definitely been a lot of developments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. And then from there, Kurt, uh, it was all about on-the-job training. Uh, and beyond that, we decided that early on that... Uh, Obviously, we did not know everything there was about running this business, nor did my dad, uh, you know, even though he was tenured in it, uh, we decided to join some uh, different contractor groups and peer groups. And one of the most uh, beneficial group that we uh, groups that we uh, joined was something that the association, the Air Conditioning Contractors of America Association, was promoting back in the day. It was called a mixed group, Management Information Exchange, whereby 10 contractors, relatively same revenue size, around the company in non-competing areas, got together every six months. And we'd go to the different contractors' location. We'd analyze their uh, financials. We'd look at their balance sheet. We'd interview their employees. Uh, and we would get a pulse on the business and see what was going well, what was not going well. And then, um, you know, the next day we'd have an industry best practices meeting. And the final day we would critique the owners of that operation and we'd give it to them right between the eyes. We, would, we were essentially a team of unpaid consultants that would descend upon these businesses and just tear them apart. Tell them what they're doing good, tell them what they're doing bad at. And... I, I can confidently say uh, the time we've been involved since 89 with this group, we have, every time they come to see us, we have always made the tough decisions that the group has brought to bear, and uh, including terminating uh, uh, long-term employees that were just not performing well, um, correcting inventory imbalances and uh, business process, and uh, 
redefining what the sales process was, we did a lot of those changes. And I think that's a key to our success. So back to your original question, that was more of a learning, that is continues to be a more of a learning experience in any schooling I've ever gotten. That's amazing. I mean, nothing like having your peers come in and help analyze it because they have the same, similar experience. You can learn from each other. And when you're non-compete regions, that's just amazing. Yeah, um, so really been wonderful. Fantastic. So we'll talk a little bit more about your, your business experience grow up and how we're doing these days when we come back from the break uh, in just a few minutes. We are talking finances so you can make informed choices for a better financial future. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Now back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronc and 1077thebronc.com. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with Scott Needham, the president of Princeton Air Conditioning. Uh, we've been talking uh, about kind of his interest here, where his father started the business back in 71, got him involved, um, doing some relatively menial jobs. What I think is really fascinating here is even though it's a family business and, and theoretically you can, quote, learn on the job, his father recognized that you need to do um, real uh, training. And the first thing you did was that business management development training. He sent you off and said, go learn about the business, learn about it is to manage it. There's a lot of things that you don't necessarily learn on the job that you can learn like in more of a classroom atmosphere where you kind of get the structure of like what this is all about. And I thought what really fascinating was this mixed thing, uh, management information exchange, I think yep, is what you call it, right? right? Yeah, the mixed group is fantastic. I mean, I wish every industry had something like that. I know we have associations, but to actually come in and look at the balance sheet and actually critique another business and quote, a non-competing area, I can't think of a better way for a business to learn from other peers, so to speak. And that's, that's just amazing. That's just amazing, yeah. um, and especially with all the changes, because you you were literally there. Your father was there, kind of in the in the infant stages of this whole, you know, climate controlling your house. I mean, whoever thought of it? You opened the windows up, and that was it. And, and he kind of grew with this, and he recognized something very, very early on. And I'm and I'm assuming that this mixed thing, you guys also talk about kind of the next generation. I mean, what happens next, right? Because you, there's a lot of things going on with housing. So. Um, so now that you kind of got the business developed and, and you do it, now, so now you're running it. So what's the difference between like when you were working for your father and then that whole that transition period uh, where he's kind of he's still there involved, but you're kind of more of the, the main person these days, correct? Right. I, I think the the uh, thing that uh, I think about often is how many moving parts there are to any business, but in particular ours. And while that's daunting, it's also the thing that uh, gets me up in the morning and running to work because I can't wait to get in there to see how things are going, to see what impact I can have on the operation without micromanaging it. And uh, the, um, you know, I, I always think about all the different moving parts. And then I think about this thing called owner dependency. And how much does the operation need from myself or my father on a day-to-day basis? And we try to remove ourselves as best we can uh, because that adds value to the operation, no, no doubt. Uh, you know, we, we aren't planning on selling at all. We, we are having fun doing what we're doing. But you figure if you ever did sell, the business would be that much more valuable if the owner was not that plugged into it. You could remove that person and have it operate and, uh, you know, continue to produce profits. But um, so we think about that and we gauge that and we try to hire the right people. We try to document our core processes 
and we try to, uh, uh, you know, put things in place to allow our team to succeed. So back to your question, moving parts is, uh, you know, what I think about daily and getting the right people to handle all those things. And then for me to look at the financials, to understand what's happening um, is key. And, and that was one thing I used to struggle with early on, the financials. You know, I was more of a customer facing, more on the sales side, more of the relationship and development side of the business. And to be burdened by looking at financials uh, every month was difficult, but it was one of those necessary things to run a business. You got to be able to do that. And what what struck me as cumbersome was the fact that there are so many buckets of costs that uh, a typical set of financials have. Like right now, we've probably got 50 or 60 buckets of, of costs on our statements. And to me, that's, you know, can be cons uh, construed as overwhelming, but your eyes tend to glaze over and you tend not to look at any particular things you find yourself, at least I did in the beginning, just looking at top line revenue and bottom line, do we make money? Mm -hmm. And there's so much more to it. And, and we've developed uh, some different strategies over time where, you know, you talk about leading and lagging indicators. Well, financial statements are a lagging indicator. That's after the fact. So you can't really change what just happened uh, last month, depending on when you're getting the statements. So we have moved to scorecard, the scorecard concept, where every week at our leadership meeting and at our uh, other team meetings that the company's uh, having weekly, we are looking at scorecards. And we figured, what are the key drivers and activities and behaviors that we need to have happen every week for, in order for us to have those financials look good at month end? And so every team has a different scorecard, and it all rolls up into a company scorecard. And uh, one way to look at it is if I was out on an island uh, in a retirement phase, and what, was the, what were the key numbers that someone would email me every week so I could know the business is healthy and it's producing. And, and so we've boiled it down to that. That's really been helpful. Well, I found that interesting. You, you rattled through a lot of important facts there that, that I that I kind of I heard there, which I thought was pretty amazing, is one, you have no intention of ever um, selling the business. However, you are documenting your processes and you're actually building the business in a way that's not dependent on you because we don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. I mean, you could have a health concern. You could have things that happen that pull you away for many, many, many reasons. You have every intention to be there tomorrow, but for some reason you're not there tomorrow. Um, you, in theory, could, the business could run itself. Or if it became necessary or was something you wanted to do, you could then sell it. And now what you've done is you've got the processes in place. You've got the the, the, the employees are set up in such a way it can run itself. Um, you, you mentioned that you document your core processes, which a lot of small businesses don't understand how important that is. Because when you go to sell a business, unless the purchaser of the business understands how are you making money and why does this actually work, they can say, well, yeah, I'm making all this money. And I've heard this a lot you know, when I've done the financing things. Oh, well, I make a lot of money. And that's, I go, that's great. And I'll tell you how much money they make. I go, but how did you you make that money and, and they don't they don't really have an explanation they, can, right. they can't really explain how they made it they just know they're making it but a buyer is not going to be convinced by you made money they want to understand okay this is what we did and this is how we did it and this is why it works and so, so I thought that was great and then also you're managing um, the financials and the fact that you mentioned that you were pretty much a salesperson 
which a lot of business, especially entrepreneur type people, are not, they don't tend to be really good numbers people. They tend to be very, um, uh, and I, I noticed what you said is I love getting up and going to work, which is obviously key, right? You got to like what you do, otherwise you're, you're going to be miserable your whole life. So that's fantastic. But the fact that you have trained yourself to, to look at it in a way, and the last thing, I, I mean, the next thing I thought was really cool is you're breaking it down. Um, and I love this scorecard thing where, you, where you're breaking down because at the end of the day, you see the top line and the bottom line, but you have to understand what are the tasks involved. It all comes down to tasks, right? Every day we get up and we do tasks, but you've actually defined the tasks that are necessary in order to end up with that bottom line at the end of the month. And you know what that is, and you've actually broken it into, if I'm understanding this correctly, into the team. So they have a scorecard so you understand how each team is producing, right? Correct. So then you can go back and critique, yep. right? I'm assuming, right? So what happens? I, that's the part I'm really interested in. So you've got the, can you tell us a little bit about what that scorecard looks like? Like, like things that you look at, sure. at, at, you know, in your business and then how you respond, good or bad? Yep. So um, well, at the leadership level, the scorecard, uh, uh, the numbers that we're looking for is uh, new customers. How many new customers did we earn this week? Uh, what were sales in commercial this week? How many club memberships did we sell this week? And uh, those are the probably the biggies. And what's the closing rate of the sales team is another one. And our uh, average days uh, receivable. Our, my CFO chimes in on that number. So those are... Those, yeah, they're always concerned about that number. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Those are the top-line numbers that we're looking at weekly. And when, and when they're off, we at our meeting, we move them down to our issues list. And we talk about the ones that are off. And then we create action items if necessary. Sometimes it's just simply seasonality. Mm-hmm. And we adjust our scorecard items seasonally. But, uh, you know, now we're we're really killing it now because it's the cooling season. And it's, it's quite frankly, very easy to make money in our business. Everybody in wants cooling AC season. right now when yeah. it's 95 degrees outside. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that upset. challenging. So, so we'll put them down to issues. We'll walk through the stumbling blocks that are causing that number mm-hmm. to be subpar. And then, if necessary, we'll create some action items around them and then uh, have what we call a cascading message to the other team members. Here's what we need to do to change it up to get these numbers back on track before the end of the month. Okay. You know, so we're proactively cor- self-correcting uh, before the end of the month. Now, I heard a lot of the, the top line stuff. Do you ever, do you ever look at the cost side of it? Is that part of this analysis too? Because I noticed like, you know, the income side of it seemed to be mainly what this was. So do you look at the other side of it? Like, sure. you know, sure. No, so uh, as well, uh, one thing we've got on one of the scorecards is uh, the big five. And uh, big five. Okay. the big five is what we affectionately refer to the biggest buckets of costs on our statement. And they are direct labor. That's the wages and benefits we pay to the people doing the work in the Mm, field. The next one is material expense, which is the net cost of those materials that we're selling to people. Then we look at office overhead salaries. Um, You know, all the people that support the field folks, we we look at that. We look at the advertising. Um, You know, we we do a ton of advertising every year and uh, radio, TV, uh, pay-per-click, all the SEO. And then we look at our vehicle expense. Those five buckets 
Uh, if if they are, they we want to keep them in and around 70% of sales. Now, the first two, direct labor and material expense, will obviously vary with sales. So in the summertime, that's going to be less of a number. In the wintertime, when we're a little slower, that number, that percentage is going to be higher. But the bottom three, the office overhead salaries, advertising, and vehicle expense, we look at those and we look at how did we do this month? How was that compared to last month? How was that compared last year, this month? We want to keep them flat or try to reduce them a bit. And um, so those are those, the big things that right. we look at on the scorecard uh, weekly. And that's great that you actually defined those um, very much so, and I appreciate that. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about how you run the business, and we'll get back in just a few minutes. We are talking finances, so you can make informed choices for a better financial future. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Now back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronc and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, here with Scott Needham, the president of Princeton Air Conditioning. And Scott's been really fantastic. I mean, most family-owned businesses are not as detailed as Scott is. I have to tell you, you guys have like taken it to a whole new level. It's pretty amazing. Your father started off training young. You guys are, you know, belong to this mixed group, which is really about a constant back and forth, really. You're staying, literally, you're staying on the cutting edge because you're talking to other people in the business. And a lot of people, especially when you have some kind of, uh, you know, a service business, which people think is fair. I mean, me as an outsider would think air conditioning. I mean, that sounds pretty mundane to me, right? You put an air conditioner and you take care of it. But there's a lot more to it. And I'm sure, you, you know, you've got many more levels beyond that. I mean, things have changed, right? I mean, Freon changed, this changed, mm-hmm. you know, regulations changed. All things are changing, which we as consumers don't think about. But you now, because you're talking to people all over the country, you're staying on top of it from what's happening next, what are the opportunities out there, what are the things you have to be concerned about, right? I'm sure you talk about both of those things. And then also, you've got this great process in place, and I love this 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 scorecard thing that you're doing within the company, where you're really boiling this down to like the task level and the team level, and you're seeing like who's performing, who's not performing. So in a way, you've got a little bit of competition going on there, I'm yep, sure, because yep. each team is kind of seeing what the other team's scorecard is and Indeed. how they're doing and things like that. I'd be curious like kind of how that, like, how that plays out when you're having your meetings. I mean, how do you use that to your advantage, so to speak, to get everybody moving so ahead? You, you, well, you, you hit it. Uh, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Uh, competition. So uh, yeah. everyone wants their numbers to be, uh, you know, on track or, or ahead, of, ahead of the plan. And when they're not, uh, they, they seem to hustle to make sure those things are different for the following week report. And uh, it's kind of fun to watch that. And and it, it doesn't need me to be flipping the switches or pushing the buttons every day. We, the team had created the scorecard numbers. So there's accountability in there when they designed them. And again, seasonal flow, we, we change them every quarter depending on the business. But uh, so you get the buy-in because they designed them. And then when they manage the numbers weekly, it's fun to watch that happen without my pressure on it. It's kind of a self-discipline, self-policing activity that takes place. So it's kind of kind of fun. And it's great because they know their expectations, right? I mean, right. some employees, one of the big, biggest complaints about employees that are, quote, not performing is they'll say, well, I don't know what my expectations are. Right. I don't know what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. You want me to do well, but I don't know what that looks like. Yep. But you've actually given them a template, and they're actually involved in creating that template 
which is kind of a win. You're really partnering with your employees, is right. what it sounds like to me. And we we often have to drive home the fact, although most people get it, that this will eventually relate to uh, increases in your salary, merit increases, and ultimately profit sharing. So if we're hitting these targets on these scorecard items, they should translate well to the financials at the end of the month. And at the end of the year, there should be profits there that we often share with employees, depending on what the profit level for the company is. Mm -hmm. So we got to remind them that, hey, all the work you're doing today uh, should be equaling profit sharing at your end. You just mentioned something that's very interesting, which is more typical of larger companies. Mm-hmm. So how is it as a smaller business? And when did you, I'm curious, when did you decide, hey, we should be doing a little bit of profit sharing? What was kind of the motivation and the thought process behind that? Right. Why do you do it? And what have you seen as good, far as the results question. of actually doing profit sharing? Because a lot of small businesses are afraid to do that. Good Good question. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we do what we call discretionary profit sharing because we, you know, when we have good years, we want to share. Right. The thing that got us to think about that is I remember, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago, we started doing some surveys uh, for our team. We, you know, embarrassingly, we never did surveys of our existing staff until 20 years ago. And now we do it every year. And we discovered back then that many of the folks felt like they were working in a vacuum. They didn't know what their job duties did to relate to the end game of the business. And that's when we decided to do what we call um, utilizing open book management philosophy. And we developed, we, we, we started these quarterly meetings, all hands meetings, where we would bring every employee, the, the entire team in, we'd cater a breakfast, and we'd put our financials for the quarter up on, up on the PowerPoint. And we wouldn't get all 60 buckets of costs, but we would put the, uh, the most interesting categories with percentages up on the screen, and we shared them with people, and we figured that would be a great time when people are gonna be watching what kind of profits we're making or not making, and to get them uh, to buy into the mission of the company, let's let them share in the profits when we have them. So it was tangential to the time we did the meetings, open book management philosophy, sharing how we're doing as a company, and uh, letting them uh, share in in the profits at the end. The one thing we were nervous about, uh, you know, the first quarter of every year, we lose money. We've been doing that for 47 years. It's just the the thing that happens in our industry. And uh, the first time that we showed those numbers to the team, they got a little nervous. They were expecting the pink slips. You know, the following week, we said, no, we we have a business planning process. We know we're going to lose money. We design our cost structure and our profit structure to accommodate for that loss in in Q1 and half of Q2. So it's all good. But we had to educate them on on the way we did the planning. Well, that's incredible. I mean, very few small businesses are willing to put their financials literally up on... on, on, It was a little scary. Because that's one of the things... Everybody I know that has... Not everybody, but many people I know that have small businesses, their employees have no clue like what they're making. They can guess, but they have no idea. But if you're you're confident enough... were you there when that, when the first time you made that decision? I'm sure that it's got to be very nerve-wracking. And then, yep. and then how did you kind of say, yeah, we really need to do this? And then at what point did you realize, yeah, that was the right decision? Yep. I think um, I give my father a lot of credit uh, for uh, being a guy that grew up in the trucking business. And uh, he always had this entrepreneurial spirit. And, I, and you would assume he's old school and doing it this way, like his, grand, like his father used to do it. But I think my dad handed me a book back then, and I think it was titled something around open book management. Mm. 
and it was a whole different philosophy. You know, it, everything was uh, close to the vest back then. Sure. And, and still is for a lot of companies. But we figured we've got nothing to hide. And if we share that information with the team, that can only embolden them to do better in most cases. Some people didn't, didn't get it, didn't want to be involved and said, that's your problem. You, you worry about it. I just want my hourly rate right. in my paycheck at the end of the week. I don't care what you do. And we've, we've moved those people out of the business because we want more engaged folks. So I think it was my dad and a book we read way back in the day that caused us to think about that. Because sometimes people, I mean, the, the, the big thing that I hear, I don't want to share that because I don't want my employees knowing how much money I make. Right. Yep. That's, so, so, that's a little daunting. Right. So they're like, well, well you know, I'm making whatever hour and you're making blah, 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 blah. I mean, obviously, public companies, everybody knows what the CEO makes, right? Sure, so you're sure. kind of a quasi-public company in a way with your own employees. Yep. I mean, you're not public, but you're in, to that you're public, now, right? to that point, we don't get as granular as uh, showing um, my salary and my dad's salary. Right, but they'll but see it's top the, line. They'll see what the business is earning. It's in the then. bucket of overhead salaries right. for office people. They'll okay. see that. And the bottom line, Kurt, is when they see profits mm-hmm. at the end of the quarter, and they know they're going to get a piece of them because of all the good work that they did, that's really what they focus on. And then when we have an unprofitable quarter uh, and we, we have reasons as to why that happened, they like to be involved in that. They said, boy, if I could change what I do in the field or in the office, one iota that can improve that, if we have a break-even first quarter, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, that's that much less we have to dig out at the end. Of the so you got a, little more, a lot of more brains working on the problem. Yeah. And it's in, especially in a business like this where it's service and they're out in the field, they can, they can see where the costs are, right? They're yep. out there yep. and they can have input into that. I mean, that's just fantastic. I mean, getting the employees involved, um, you know, open book uh, management, having a meeting quarterly with everybody on deck, so to speak, and getting everybody's feedback. And then you also kind of got the people out of there who weren't really worried about the profits because as a business, you need to be worried about profits. You have employees that aren't focused on that, then it's just not a good match for the your style, which is to be as efficient as you can, make as much money as you can. Um, So thank you very much. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We'll talk about what you guys are doing next. We are talking finances so you can make informed choices for a better financial future. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Now back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronc and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, here with uh, Scott Needham, the president of Princeton Air Conditioning. And we've been on quite a journey here. Scott, uh, quite a, it's a family-owned business, but it's run extremely professionally, which is fantastic. Um, you run it like a business that could be sold tomorrow if necessary. If people could come in and review the whole concept, they'll understand exactly how you're earning the income, or if you had to be separated from the business for a period of time for anyway, whether it was by choice or, um, or you had to be by an illness or something else that might occur, your business will run itself, which is really the ideal thing. And what I think is great is you have this open book management where you really are engaging the employees in the process, and you've got this really kind of granular way through this scorecard to help people to really understand what their job is and when they're doing it well and when they're not, and then the teams are kind of competing against each other. So everything is really fantastic. And then, of course, you got this outside, this uh, mix program where you kind of analyze each other. you just got every layer kind of covered there, which is I think is amazing. Um, so basically, keep up the good work. But in, in the break, you handed me this card that I want to talk about. I think it's really cool. So these are these are the Princeton Air core values, and we're going to go through these real here. So he's got six of them here. Um, thirst for knowledge. 
Whatever it takes, embraces change, relentlessly positive, eager to serve, and no jerks. So how did you come up with this and how do you use it? I'm just curious. Well, so <laughs> I think it's good great. question. Everybody gets a <laughs> chuckle out of number six, no oh, jerks. Yeah. But uh, so we, we sat in a room, the, the leadership team, and then we put the next level down uh, into the meeting as well. And we had um, we we had one. Everybody had a blank piece of paper, and we asked them to write down the top two people in the company that you feel exhibit all the good that this company is about. Write them down, and then we gave them a couple minutes. They wrote two people, three people down, and then we said, "All right, underneath of that, write the attributes or the reasons why you selected them." And all the things that go along with your selection as their two, those two or three people. And we had 40 things that we took from those sheets and put them up on a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, the group worked for a few hours to cross this out. No, this is redundant. This means this. Get rid of that because that lines up with this. And we boiled this all down to these six core values. And right now, Kurt, it's, it's amazing to watch. We are hiring, firing, rewarding, and recognizing around those six core values. And, you know, you don't even get to the next. You don't, you don't pass the telephone interview if you can't talk about a few of these things in that short 10-minute uh, dialogue on the phone. You don't get to the next step in the interview. And as we have our quarterly reviews with our team, we have this uh, scorecard again. And we have plus minus notations in each of these core values. And uh, the, we ask the employee to rate themselves on where they fit. A plus would be I exhibit this core value most of the time here at work. A uh, plus minus would be I'm right in the middle, or minus would be I don't exhibit them at all. And we're having them rate themselves, we rate them, and we have a discussion about why. And it's fun to see the company kind of prosper in in terms of team spirit when we've got rid of the jerks in the company. Highly talented people knew what they were doing, really good at their jobs, but they were just difficult to work with. We've moved most, if not all, of them out of the company. That's kind of a fun yeah. place to be. And I've heard that before. It's in larger corporations, you'll hear people complain, like, the person is brilliant, but they're bringing down 10 employees, so they're really not that... I mean, they may be doing their job twice as good as anybody else, but if you're bringing down 10 employees, you're actually negative. Yep. Right. Yeah. So that's and, and that an attitude like pervades it got, kind of works its way through the system, right? No if somebody's yeah. negative, they're going to other people can become more negative. If somebody's positive, people are going to become more positive. So I, you mentioned a, a kind of interesting. I'm wondering how do you, you they're self ranking, which is which is good because I understand that. So how are you ranking them if you're not necessarily? How, how do you get that information back? Are you just because they might be in the field all the time? Or how are you how are you doing that or getting that information as far as you may not know them. You may not see them, right? You you check in with their supervisors. Okay. So their supervisors have these meetings uh, with them. Supervisors have a pulse on what's happening. Supervisors will ask their co-workers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you get a lot of feedback that way. And that's that's probably the most help in evaluating those. So it's really more of a peer review in a lot of ways. You've got self-review and you've got some peer involved as well because they're they're kind of feeding this back. And it's it's at kind of a high level, I mean. Do they know what they're doing? I mean, are they yep. willing to go beyond what they need to go? I mean, so these are really things, and, 
and I'm assuming reading every one of these are things that make a business more profitable, right? No doubt. The empl- your customers are going to like this, right? No doubt. They do. The uh, The problem was, you know, we're a 47-year-old company. We figured out our core values maybe two years ago, which mm-hmm. is a little embarrassing, but uh, we knew they were well, there. most. Well, yeah, right. And uh, so you have to give your existing employees six months to a year to step up to the plate in terms of these core values. You can't just launch everybody that doesn't fit them. So we gave a lot we gave a lot of birth to a lot of people uh, to get to it. And if they didn't have any interest or weren't willing to change a little bit to exhibit more of these on a consistent basis, we would offer them um, opportunities outside of our business. Okay. You know? Well, that's good. So did you see, I mean, just with people that were kind of marginal, I'm sure some went one way and some went the other way, right? So did you see some kind of stepping up? We turned over 30% of our team. Oh, wow. When, when we laid these out. So that was uh, it was a bit difficult, but right. uh, necessary. Okay. So, but it sounds like you're able to find people because yeah. you're obviously yep. still growing and you're Absolutely. still doing what you need to do. Absolutely. Um, so anything you learn from that process and maybe somebody else that says, hey, I want to go do this process, um, the, the plus and the minus of the whole thing. How did it Yeah, I, there, there's, there's only upside to okay. it. There's only upside. If you can figure out what you, you, you have core values today. In any company, you probably just don't know what they are. You haven't written them down. Right. So you've got them. They exist. To find them, uh, articulate them, uh, print them. And right now, um, you know, you see it's on the back of my business card. Everybody's mm-hmm. business card has them on there. Right. And they should be. You, you, you can run into any of my uh, coworkers anywhere, and they should be able to recite all six of them to you instantly. That's so great. Check that when you see Sounds like the Boy Scouts, the motto or something, right? <laughs> That's right. You got your own. Good one. Good one. You got your own own motto here going. That's fantastic. So, uh, all right. So you guys are running your business well. So, what can you tell us? I guess about the business in general. Like what? What you got? There's a lot. To me, there's a lot going on. Is it just? Yeah. So, so where do you see it headed? Well, one one thing that plagues our business is the seasonality, right? So we do heating and air conditioning. We do humidification. We do dehumidification, air filtration, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 way back in the day when I first joined as a manager, I got so tired of the seasonality of it. So my job since long ago has been trying to de-seasonalize the business. So uh, applying products and services that don't have a season to it. So we launched plumbing two years ago. Plumbing, there's no season to plumbing. We launched uh, whole house backup generators. There's no uh, seasonality to that. Uh, 25 years ago, uh, I was enamored uh, as a young person when this whole thing of recurring revenue, you know, and, and then I figured we need to design a recurring revenue service business and you do that through the sale of automatically renewable club memberships or maintenance agreements. So that was another thing that we embedded into the business as an early stage. So we, our core uh, mission is to sell club memberships, both residentially and commercially, and then all good things will come as a result of that. So we've got customers locked in. We're uh, hopefully doing a good job day in and day out. And um, so seasonality, we're trying to make it a non-seasonal business. And 
and recurring revenue is the club memberships. Yeah, I think the club members is a great idea because most of us don't realize like we need to change our filter right. and we need to do this. We need and you come in and you got to clean it because you're going to have less cost long term. It's going to run more efficiently. Absolutely. Most of us don't really think about that, but I, I, I mean, I think this is a great idea. And then you're being proactive. Hey, by the way, this needs to happen. You need to do this, and then they don't have to think about it because many people around, especially around here, are very busy. And it's like it's great that the business is proactively saying, hey, let's take care of this, so you don't have a break yep. like on a day like today where it's 95 degrees. Well, actually, another, today, actually, today's pretty nice, but not day, yesterday, today. I'd say. Yeah. That's another scorecard item uh, on a bunch of different teams is the club memberships net every week. Okay. You know, so we keep an eye on that. Well, amazing example of a, of a family-owned business done right. You got the, 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 the children involved young, and now you're running it. Um, your father took you for um, structured professional training, which I think is missing in a lot of small businesses. And you're part of these groups where you analyze each other. You've got your employees engaged um, on the metrics of how the business runs, what works, and they're, they're involved in, in, in the solution process as well. What's that? I, I just wanted to add one more thing. Somebody asked me the other day, hey, Scott, you're 60 now. You just had a 60th birthday. When, what's retirement look like? <laughs> and I said to him, hey, you know, if I can continue to do these things, if I can continue to do what I love, do it with the people I admire, make a decent living doing it, all the while creating time for other passions, if I can do all those things, I'm never going to retire. I'm going to continue to work in the business. And that, that, he was shocked to hear that, uh, you know, so I just wanted to share that. With I, well, I agree with you, and I feel <laughs> the exact same way. Your father's 84 still doing it. My right. opinion is... What is retirement? It's doing what you want to do. If you love right. what you do is work, then you just you set it up in a way that you can do the work and yep. you can do the other things. As long as cognitively and physically you're able to do it, why, you have to do something, yeah. right? So you might as well do what you enjoy. And if you can work at the job you enjoy, you know that's that's a double plus, right? You've got everything going Perfect. there. Yep. Well, Scott, thanks again for coming on. I seriously appreciate it. Um, you've been listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. And we've been with Scott Needham, the president of uh, Princeton Air Conditioning right here uh, locally in Princeton, but it works all over the place. Um, you can reach me at um, either www.cwmi.us or uh, call me directly at 609-716-4700. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash master your finances. Um, you can also view this podcast and all of them, all of them at masteryourfinances.us. And together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. The financial views and information provided by Master Your Finances and its guests are intended for general informational purposes only. The material discussed is not designed to provide listeners with individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. Always consult your financial planner for professional advice. You've been listening to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment, exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Tune in every Sunday morning at 9 to learn everything you need to know about personal and small business financial planning, including investing, estate planning, insurance, employee benefits, 401k, 43b plans, retirement planning, and more. Missed an episode? Go to 1077 The Bronx to download and listen to previous shows. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, focusing on personal financial and small business planning. For more information about all of Certified Wealth Management and Investment services online, it's cwmi.us. Be sure to listen every Sunday at 9 to Master Your Finances exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com.